who here knows that you can actually, that you probably have actually got a greater capacity than what you think? Yeah, all right. You do. Now, let me give you a, a really basic illustration to lead into the next point, okay? What's, what's this? That's not a trick question, all right? Not some kind of magician. It's, it's magician, no. It's a cup, right? What kind of cup is it? It's, it's okay. So what's a cup for? To drink, okay? So this is not a trick, right? Some of you are looking at me like, what's he up to? So you could put water in a cup um, and drink it, right? fulfill this purpose right did it it did right now what if I did this can it still perform its purpose yeah see some of you haven't looked in your rainwater tanks have you if you just wait long enough, all the sediment will uh, drop to the bottom. Could you, you could still drink out of it, right? What, what have I actually done to the cup? I've reduced its capacity. Now, what have I actually done? I've actually reduced its capacity to function in the purpose in which it was intended. Does that make sense? That, that's what I've done to it. You could still use it, but it actually wouldn't go as well now that it's got some rocks in it as it did before. Is everyone cool with that? Now, what has this got to do with anything? This has everything to do with where I'm going today, right? Because one of the things, one of the buzzwords that gets thrown around in schools lots of the time, and even in the community, is this word resilience. Who's heard of the word resilience? We want people to be resilient. Now, I think there's a better uh, word to use than resilience. It's capacity, okay? What's the difference between those two words, resilience and capacity? There's lots of differences. That's good. So you said resilience is recovery from something and capacity is a going forward kind of thing. That's, that's pretty much exactly where I'm going to be going today, right? The reason why I think capacity is a better word to use is because capacity speaks to purpose, doesn't it? And resilience, like one of them sounds like a conduit and the other one sounds like a cul-de-sac. All right, resilience sounds a bit more like a cul-de-sac. It's like we just want to be happy, resilient, want to have a good life, be able to handle things. Capacity is I'm actually built for a purpose and I'm going forward into something and I need to make that capacity as big as I can to achieve the purpose that I'm meant to achieve. All right? That's what we believe at the project here, by the way, is that we think that every single one of you have got a purpose and it's not ultimately about you having a happy life. It's about you centering your life upon God. That's what it is. That's your purpose. All right? Now, some of you wanted me to drink that, didn't you? Yeah, you did. Come on. You're evil in your hearts. I know it. Listen to this. As you think about 2016, think about this verse. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God, what? Prepared. Do you know what's really cool this morning? What's really exciting today is God's already got the things planned that he wants you to get done this year. They're planned, all right? He's not actually sitting up there just going, geez, 
is it like the third already? You know, what happened to the first and the second of January? You know, he, he's got it all planned out. He get, for every single person that loves him and follows him here, he's actually got specific things organized for you to get done this year. Do you see the, the forward moving kind of thing about, about God's purpose and the way that he's created you? And what do we need to do? Well, these things are organized. You need to walk in. Now, that's why I'm speaking about capacity builders today. Do you know why? Because God can do ridiculously more than you ask or even imagine. This is what we learn in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. Paul says this, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Who would like a bit more power this year? He wants that for you. Who are the people that didn't put their hand up saying they want a bit? Are there people here who don't want more power? I'm not having a go at you, but seriously, who wants more power? Yeah, come on. We want more power and that's what God actually wants to do with you is give you more power and more strength to do things. Strengthen with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Beautiful phrase, isn't it? To know something that surpasses knowledge. That's why uh, you, you should never ever say, yeah, I know that God loves me. Paul would say, well, you might know a bit, you don't even know enough to know how much of a bit you've got. Do you know what I mean? That, that's the nature of God's love. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we what? All we what? All think. Okay. There's not much left. Ask or think. Now, Paul wants you to know that in 2016, God is going to be up to things in 2016 that go beyond what you've asked for this year or what you will ask for this year or what you even think he could do. So think the grandest thought and he's going beyond it. So some of you, you probably at this point, you just go, well, okay, so our job is to try and keep up with him and what he's up to. Yeah, that's kind of it. Now, some people like to... uh, well, I shouldn't say it that way. But some, some people, some of you might be sitting there and you just go, man, it just sounds like Sondergeld's telling me that we've just got to work harder. And some of you go, well, you, you'll burn out if you work harder. Now, people do burn out. Is that true? They do. But the term burnout, whenever someone uses the term burnout, it always raises a whole bunch of questions in my mind. All right? Because I think it describes something, but it doesn't explain something. And one of the things that actually happens uh, with people who burn out is that there can be a whole bunch of dysfunctional, weird kind of mechanisms going on in their life that have actually reduced their capacity and haven't enabled them to actually function properly. Do you get what I'm saying? And I'm not, if, if you burn out, I'm not having a go at you, all right? At all. Because there's, uh, there's been times in my life where I just go, man, I just don't know how much I can, more I can take. And one of the places that, um, that God has helped me to see often is what are the things that are going on inside of me that are like rocks in the cup that are reducing my capacity to handle what's going on. Because you know that when things, if you follow Jesus for a while, uh, you know that when things are going well and everything's sweet with you and Jesus, you yeah, can actually handle a lot, can't you? But when it's not going well, when life's not going well, when you're not getting good sleep, for example, 
your capacity really decreases, doesn't it? And you just can't handle that much. Is everyone with me? That's what we're talking about today. So you know what I want to give you today is I want to give you five capacity builders for 2016. All right? So give yourself as much capacity as you can to follow God in everything that he wants you to do this year not burn out and you'll see by the nature of these five that we're not talking about frantically working harder and harder and harder and harder we're just talking about being in a good place so that God can use you and he can lead you more effectively all right here's the first one look after your body this is Psalm 42 verse 1 to 4 as the deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O, O God my soul thirsts for God for the living God when shall I come and appear before God my tears have been my food all day and night while they say to me all the day long where is your God these things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude keeping festival now who, who knows the song that was written out of this psalm as a dear pants for see some of you are going see your worshipful heart was just coming out as I was singing then wasn't it and you're all going stick to preaching like you you're better at that do you know, like if you know that song, you think back to that song and that song was written to make you think what you need to do is you need to pan after God, you need to thirst after God, you need to desire God the way a thirsty deer would desire the water, right? But if you actually read Psalm 42, Psalm 42 is a pretty dark psalm and you can get that kind of feel from it there is it's like this guy is after God but he can't get him. He's kind of stranded and... I probably think that the tone of that song is a little too happy <laughs> for Psalm 42, if that makes sense. But look at the phrase in the middle there of, uh, of that scripture that's on the screen there. My tears have been my food day and night. Do you see that? So just think for a moment, what is life like for this guy? It's pretty hard. In fact, he sounds like he's crying a lot and not eating. Do you get that? That's what it sounds like. That's, that's what he seems to be describing here. He's crying a lot and he's not eating. Now, there's a good capacity limiter for you, isn't it? I mean, what this psalm here in Psalm 42 is really telling us is that you're an embodied soul. Your soul exists in a body and your body has an impact upon you. So what does that mean? It means you need to get good sleep. Some of the mums out there are just going, yeah, good luck with that, all right? Some of the mums out there are just, yeah, I mean, you know better than most uh, why they use sleep deprivation for torture, all right? Because it's a massive capacity limiter, all right? And there's a sense, isn't there, in which sleep, for example, is a reminder that we're not ultimate, that the world actually does go on without us. It's actually a reminder, I think, to trust in God. So let me give you a couple of practical tips. Do you know they've done some research and they've found the light that comes off a mobile phone screen, right, stimulates your brain more than reading a book. Do you know that? The kind of light that comes off a mobile phone screen. So if you struggle to go to sleep, right, lying down in bed and looking at your phone five minutes before you want to go to sleep is a bad idea, all right? You want to read a book or you want to find something else that doesn't stimulate your brain. Here's another one. Don't have a shower just before you go to bed. Now, some of you do. I, I recommend you have a shower before you go to bed, but not just before you go to bed. You know why? Because showers stimulate the brain. 
They, they know that your brain actually gets more active after you've had a shower. Now, if you can do it and you can go to sleep, that's fine. All I'm really saying is these are not laws or anything. It's just like here's some standard kind of principles to get your sleep going well. Get into a sleep routine. This is really important. So try and go to bed at the same time every night and then get up at the same time because your body actually learns a sleep routine after about two or three weeks. And here's another one. And I, uh, I failed at this one last night. I, uh, we watched the new, the new uh, episode of Sherlock last night, the British one. It was good. Enjoyed it. It's a bit excited at the end of it. Couldn't go to sleep. Had three coffees yesterday, so it was pretty, I was just lying in bed like that for about an hour and then I got up. That's a bad thing to do, right? There's times in my life I've done that lots of times in a row and you know what happens is I get up, I stay up till about 11.30, then I go to sleep and over a period of time I teach my body to go to sleep later and I still have to get up at the same time because I have four alarm clocks in my house. It takes about three weeks to get your body accustomed to a new sleeping pattern. All right, so if you've got a bad sleeping pattern, um, you're just going to have to lie there in bed awake until you drop off and teach your body to go to sleep. Some of you might go, well, it'd be really nice to go to sleep and to stay asleep, but I wake up in the middle of the night and I get anxious and I think about stuff. And that's a genuine struggle for a lot of people. Well, I would, uh, I would just ask you this question. What's your plan for when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're anxious? Like, I'm assuming it didn't happen for the first time last night, if it was last night. It's probably happened a hundred times. And I think if something's happening regularly, it's good to have a plan, isn't it? I'm not having a go. I'm just trying to encourage you this morning. Like, just think about it. Like, what, uh, what scriptures are you going to meditate on? What are you going to think about in the middle of the night? How are you going to pray when you can't sleep because you're concerned about something or you're bothered by something? You see, the Bible talks often in the Psalms about what to do in the night when you're not sleeping psalm 63 says my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when i remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings i will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me you hear what the psalmist is saying he's going i'm in the middle of the night and i can't sleep and it's bothering me it's limiting my capacity well what am i going to meditate on well i'll tell you one thing you can meditate on in the middle of the night is things that you're scared of can't you it's things that you're anxious about things that you're fearful of or you can actually meditate on god's promises in the middle of the night and run them over and over and over in your head you can be like a cow if you can handle this illustration, chewing its cud in the middle of the night. That would be a good plan. All right, a couple of other things. Eat well. You guys remember that uh, movie that came out, Super Size Me? Remember that? I mean, we all know, like if you eat junk food all the time, you turn into junk, probably. Don't you? I mean, it, it has an effect on you. Eat well. Exercise. You know, after a hard day, for me, the best thing I find to do is just to belt out five or six Ks, go for a jog, all right, and just uh, get it out of the system. All right, number two, that's, that's the first one, look after your body. Number two, fight fear with faith. Listen to this, this is uh, Joshua 1 verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses um, handed over the, the reins in a sense of the people of Israel after they came out of the promised land to Joshua and his job was to be the military commander and go in and to conquer the land of Canaan 
Now, do you think Joshua would have had some things to be scared about? I reckon. And his army would have too. So what does God say to him? He says, repetitively, he says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm going to be with you everywhere that you go. And we see this refrain again in Hebrews 13, verse 5 to 6, where, um, where the writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Why won't you fear? Because God's with you and you're trusting in him. Do you know that's what faith is? Faith is actively trusting in God. So when you're fearful, you lose capacity. Who knows that to be true? You lose capacity when you're fearful. Fight it with faith. You see, faith is a great capacity builder because it measures a particular situation by God's potential, not by yours. Fear and anxiety is a great capacity limiter because it measures a situation by what bad thing may happen. Now, we uh, recently were on holidays and we went to um, South West Rocks. Now, I, um, since I was a kid... I, I haven't liked heights. I'm probably the best with heights as I've ever been. Um, that, that's a bridge at Southwest Rocks and it's got a water pipe going over it there and um, people jump off that bridge. It's probably about six metres from the top of the water pipe to the water. Who'd do it? Look at all you crazy people. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Okay. Because you can, Hal. <laughs> now, I'm, uh, this is a, maybe a bit shameful for a man, but um, I, I have never jumped off anything that high in my life. Okay? I have been uh, paralysed with fear at times in my life with heights. I'm happy to have a crack at a whole bunch of things. Heights have never been really my gig. I tell you, when you're faced with something that's fearful you can actually learn a lot about yourself and the mechanisms that are going on inside of you now the first day we went out to this bridge do you want to hear the story yeah obviously i'm here so either i jumped and it was okay or i didn't jump that's basically anyway so we go out to the bridge everyone's jumping off it i'm not correctly attired which is an appropriate reason for me not to jump on that particular occasion um and uh, my kids were going, you're going to jump off? I said, oh, I'll think about it. And I did think about it. I, I thought a lot about it. Um, and do you know the, uh, the interesting thing about, um, about fear is that it, it can just really kind of consume you. And, and so I'll tell you, that the battle that I was in in my head is, do I want to actually live my life constrained by fear or do I want to live my life not constrained by fear? Right? Now, there wasn't, I don't think there's any risk, Really? I mean, it's a bit of a height, but there's not really any risk. Six metres is not that high. Did you make a risk Yeah, well, lots of people went in front of me. I was, I was, there were stingrays in there. That, that was a bit of a concern um, for me. Yeah. What are you saying? I need to lose weight? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you need that a good three metres higher than normal, your size. Anyway, so the, the second day, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an anticlimax, but the second day I went out there and um, the, uh, the boys, my youngest son actually said, come on, Dad, jump. I was just going, okay, well, 
let's let's just do it. So uh, I just went out and jumped off and learned about hydraulics. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. You know how hydraulics work? It's like a, if you push uh, in a large cylinder down up through a small thing, it kind of has a lot of power. Well, I didn't breathe out my nose as I jumped in, so <laughs> a large opening went very small, and my ears hurt a lot. So here's the thing. Uh, one, this is something that's absolutely true of you, is that you always measure your potential. Every life situation that happens for you, you're measuring your potential. And there's actually no one in your life that's more influential than you because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. You're constantly thinking about the potential you have to deal with the things that are on your plate. And the way that you tend to measure your potential is this way, because I think everyone does. You take the size of your problem, your natural gifts and your track record and you work out what your potential is. Fair enough? That's kind of what we do. But do you know through the gospel the fact that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus, your potential has now gone infinite in a sense, hasn't it? Because he actually lives inside of you. Your potential is not limited to your talents, your abilities, your track record, the size of the problem. It's limited only to what he can do and he is unlimited. You see, God does in you what you couldn't do for yourself and he does outside of you what you have no power or authority to do do you get that he does in you what you could never do for yourself he fixes things up inside of you that you can't fix up and he does outside of you with the world he has control and authority over things in the outside world that you don't have control or authority over so this year when you get to things you go that's too big for me you just go yeah peter said that it would be he said that it would be. And in fact, God said that it would be. You're just going to hit things in 2016 that are too big for you. In fact, just about everything's too big for you. But the good news is that God's with you, he's in you, he's for you, and he's done everything necessary to help you. So your potential is sky high. See, the gospel is the most encouraging message about potential that anyone can ever be given. That's number two, fight fear with faith. Number three, be part of biblical community. I want to read this one here. This is um, most often read at weddings. This is Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 12. Wisdom sayings attributed to uh, King Solomon. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Do you notice that? That, I mean, that's, I don't want to be negative about it, but 365 days, good chance you're going to fall. So when you fall, what do you actually need? Well, you actually need someone who can help you get up. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. He's just going, it's wise to have someone who can pull you up when you fall. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Who knows that's true? I mean, most of you probably had times in your life where you just kind of come a gutter if I can put it that way, you stacked it in your life and for a period of time there was no one around kind of picking you up. And you, you kind of go, yeah, that is woe. <laughs> that is a woeful time. That's a hard time. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And listen to this one. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. You see that last one? It's got the sense of a bandit, doesn't it? It's like 
there's a bandit there's someone that's trying to attack and you mightn't be okay on your own but you know what if you got two or three you're probably going to be okay because you'd be able to back each other so just to ask you this a couple of questions on this one it's a quick on this one who lifts you up who lifts you up do you have someone Are there people in your life that know the inner workings of your life, your strengths, your weaknesses, who can pull you up when you're fallen? I have to tell everyone. We're not going to have a parade up the front here where everyone talks about their deepest, darkest. But you need some people to know your deepest, darkest, don't you? Well, you can just go up to them, you can give them the the nod or the look and they just go, what's going on? You just go, it's getting me. Let's go. Oh, gotcha. All right, I know what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't even have to go into it. You don't even have to talk about the details of it and the deep, dark stuff. You just go, listen, I've told you what my three Achilles heels are, even though I've only got two. I've told you about three, and it's going to be one of those three. If you see a look on my face, it's one of those three, all right? And then they're in there, and they're just kind of going, how can I help? How can I uh, help to lift you up? And who knows that this year, there's probably going to be some times where, um, oh, you you know, you'd probably get attacked, probably, or something. It'll feel like something's attacking you. And to actually have some people on your team who are just going, hey, I can see what's going on, on with you, and I'm backing you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm beside you the whole way. And you, and, the, and you just get strengthened by that, and you build capacity. Do you get that? That's what this is talking about. This is talking about relationships build capacity, don't they? So let's have some people that know stuff about us. Let's have companionship in adversity because companionship will increase our capacity. It'll increase our capacity when temptation comes. It'll increase it when, uh, when grief comes. Don't fall victim to the wayside bandit. Be in good community with people. Number four. I'm going to finish in seven minutes. Luke 3.23 says this. And number four is enjoy the ordinary. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about how old? Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Jesus actually did his ministry. All the stuff recorded in the Gospels basically happened in three years, from 30 to 33. Now, this begs the question, doesn't it? What's he doing the rest of the time? 30 years. There were still lepers and blind people and people getting deceived by the church. Um, there was still all that kind of stuff going on. What is he doing the other 30 years? You know what he's doing? Hanging out with his family and swinging a hammer with his father in the family business, probably. He was a carpenter. That's what he was. And you know, one thing that I think that tells you is that God loves the ordinary. I mean... For us, we just kind of go, Jesus, you need to get really busy, you know. Like that, 30 years is a long time. You're probably good to go by 20, all right? If you're God incarnate, you're ready to go by 20. Just going, no, we'll do another decade. It'll be 30 years. And he's swinging a hammer. He's just doing ordinary things. And I think capacity for you is going to be increased if you stop to enjoy the ordinary. Now, so anyone... Uh, heard this phrase stop and smell the roses you heard that one well this is kind of like that but i think better not just because i came up with it but uh but better you know why 
is you don't just smell the roses for the roses sake you smell the roses because God made the roses and the roses actually inspire your worship so when you listen to a child's laugh when you see a stunning view as you drive down Mount Kynock over there when you hear someone say sorry when you didn't expect it when someone understands you when you thought no no one's going to understand me in this bit when you get a moment of understanding a moment where you feel accepted you see all these things are kind of shadows of God and that's why you need to actually enjoy the ordinary because God's in the ordinary listen to what C.S. Lewis says he says I was standing today in the dark tool shed the sun was shining outside and through the crack at the top of the door there came a sunbeam from where I stood that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it was the most striking thing in the place everything else was almost pitch black I was seeing the beam not seeing things by it then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes instantly the whole precious picture vanished I saw no tool shed and above all no beam instead I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside and beyond that 90 odd million miles away the sun looking along the beam listen to this and looking at the beam are very different experiences do you get that you can look at stuff and you can kind of go oh that's really nice you can just smell the roses but if you look at stuff you look at the ordinary and you see God in the ordinary you see something beautiful uh, one more scripture before I move on to the final point it was just Christmas I just want to read part of the Christmas story in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord so shepherds are like pretty low on the pay scales back then it's like what is God doing showing up to put on a show for a bunch of stinky shepherds and this will be the sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased and the shepherds returned where where do you reckon they went anyone like to have a tilt they return where sorry yeah at home <laughs> you get that like yeah this amazing scene this amazing experience and what happens well they just they go home go home like in our day you just go on oh, i see that now they need a facebook group page and Twitter and probably a book tour don't they I mean this is I got this stuff from Zachar Swan who does an excellent piece on it I was going to read a bunch of it but we won't because we haven't got time today but do you see that God actually came in a sense in the angels put on a show for the shepherds not to take the shepherds out of the ordinary but so that he would actually invade their ordinary do you get that and so that invasion of the ordinary would stay with them and that God would be them in the midst of the ordinary so you can imagine couldn't you one of those shepherds being 75 and telling his great grandkids for the 35th time what happened on the Christmas night couldn't you where his ordinary got invaded by God and so I want to suggest to you embrace and enjoy the ordinary here's the last one have a plan for your weaknesses 
This is Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, if you're at least in your early 20s, you pretty much worked out, I would think, by experience, the top five kind of weaknesses or things that trip you up. Okay? You you probably know what they are. Uh, Bill Clem, one of the uh, guys that we watch in uh, Redemption Groups in the teaching videos, he made the comment, he goes, I haven't committed a new sin in, in 20 years. Just the same old ones. He just does the same ones. And there's a sense in which uh, most of us are probably like that. It's like we're not coming up with new stuff to blow and, and to get wrong. We just tend to keep doing the same things. And I want to uh, suggest to you today that one way that you could uh, in, in increase your capacity this year is to have a plan for your weaknesses. Yeah, we're pretty stupid sometimes, isn't it? It's like you go, really? I got caught by that again, all right? And you've just been caught by it 100,000 times in your lifetime. Do you get what I'm saying? It's just like, I'm so surprised. That's never happened to me until today, except for those other 100,000 times that happened. Pro- Do you get what I'm saying? And that's why I'm saying that's never happened to me until today because it feels like it's the first time every time it happens. But the truth is, it's happened a long time. So I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what the thing is that entangles you. I don't know what the thing is that that you just kind of blow it at. But have a plan for it. You kind of know what it is. Don't kind of stumble on the next time that you get entangled by it or the next time you blow it without just going, ah, see, I've seen this one before. This is nothing new. I mean, I've often uh, joked about the fact that I think the devil only needs one plan because his plan, for whatever reason, just keeps working. It's the same one. And we almost need a counter plan for the things that can entangle us and, and catch us. So get a plan. Whatever your struggles are, whatever your weakness is. You see, Hebrews 12 verse 1 there says, there's things that weigh you down and then there's sin that cat- catches you up and gets you caught and traps you. So think about that. Think about it in those categories. What are the habits that weigh me down, that stop me from running? What are the things that entangle me? And remember, here's my last word, then I'm going to run a video clip and we're done. Remember, when it gets messy, remember that because of the gospel, because of God's commitment to you, because he's with you, because he'll never leave you, because of the resurrection... It's not over. All right, real quick. Here are four unrelated stories, all with a common bond. First, let's go back to November 20th, 1982. For the 85th time, Cal and Stanford are involved in a heated contest. After a wild game, Stanford, led by young John Elway, takes the lead with just four seconds left. The Stanford fans and band are already celebrating, and why shouldn't they? The game is over. One final play begins as Stanford kicks short to Cal. A mad scramble ensues. Laterals follow near tackles, then a blind over-the-shoulder lateral. A mad race to the end zone. Down goes the Stanford trombonist as the touchdown is scored. The unthinkable happens and Cal wins. As it turns out, it wasn't over. How about this one? Meet the Lilies, Russell and Terry. It's 2001. Their 10-year marriage has been a constant source of frustration. A vicious cycle of selfishness, fighting, and isolation has left them both exhausted, angry, and done. Never mind the vows. Never mind the two young boys. This one is beyond hope. This marriage is over. Following their divorce, 
Russell becomes a follower of Christ, and Terry begins to notice the transformation taking place in Russell. Hardened hearts soften. The relationship begins to heal. Forgiveness is sought and granted. In 2007, they remarry. The one that became two is now one again. Then there's Raylene Coopersmith. It's January 2008. Ray suffers a cerebral hemorrhage. Declaring her brain dead, the doctors remove her breathing tubes. Knowing that it's over, the hospital releases Ray to her family so she can be taken home to die comfortably. Meanwhile, Ray's family plans her funeral. But someone forgot to tell Ray that it was over. At home, Ray suddenly wakes up. She's checked again by her doctors, who cannot believe that she's still alive, much less alert and healthy. Funeral plans have now turned into vacation plans for Ray and her family. Logically devoid of hope, legally divorced, literally dead, everyone thought it was over. It's not the first time. Flashback almost 2,000 years. A man claiming to be the long-anticipated Messiah is unfairly accused. Offered up to the lying crowds by a Roman official, the supposed Savior is flogged, mocked, tortured, and beaten. He is nailed to a tree and crucified. He dies and is buried. Hopes that he is the Messiah fade away. It is finished. Friends scatter. Disciples hide. Evil celebrates. And for three days, it is over. But on the third day, there's an empty grave. Evil has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. Suddenly, miraculously, the only thing that is now over is hopelessness. Four stories. One message. It's not over, even when it's over.